Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Posture of discipleship. That's what we left off, right? We left off talking about the fact that these guys, when Jesus called them as disciples, he gave them nothing. Not even forgiveness of sins. <laughs> you remember now? Yeah, not titles, not positions, nothing. He called them into a posture. Of what? Yes. But I give you four things that that posture entailed. Learning. Imitating. Becoming. Practicing. So discipleship is a call into process. Discipleship is a call into process. Hear me carefully while you're writing. Discipleship is not a finishing school. You know what finishing school is? Where they just brush you up and prepare you for something very quickly. You, know, you already know how to use a spoon. You know what a spoon is. We just need to tell you what kind of spoon does what kind of food. What kind of fork does what kind of you know, meal. What kind of knife does what. What is a steak knife? What is a dessert knife? You know, what is a you know, food knife? If you, went for a, if you went for a full course meal, you probably have at least three to four spoons on your table. You know, two to three forks on your table. And two to three knives on your table. You'll have a water glass. You'll have a juice glass. You'll have a wine flute. And the way you hold your wine glass or your water glass is different from how you hold a wine flute. The way you will hold your steak knife on your left and how you will handle your fork is different for your main course than for your dessert. You'll not hold a fork and hold it up. You'll pinch with a fork and feed it to yourself upside down. Because eating your fork upside down is right side up. So that's finishing school. They tell you how to, no matter how thirsty you are, you don't finish and totally empty your wine glass. Shows you're hungry and desperate. It does. It shows you're very poor. And that's all the juice you would drink this month. Yeah. That's in etiquette. That's what it, that's what it says. Yeah. If you put your spoon and fork a particular way, you are still eating. Turn them over, put them across the plate, you're done eating. So the waiter knows this spoon and fork across the plate, you're done. On either side of the plate, you're still eating. So discipleship is not finishing school. It's not brushing you up so we can showcase you. Discipleship is boot camp. It calls you into process. It's not about making you look good. It's about straining you until every impurity falls off. Because you know finishing school is about polishing you enough to present you without you being an embarrassment. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So when we send you to represent us, you will not embarrass us. You know, you represent us properly. Because no matter how it is doing you, you cannot drop the knife and carry the chicken in your hand. 
You cannot. You have to use your knife and your fork and skin the chicken until it's completely deboned. You can't. Yeah. So if you're thinking poor, you, there are some places you will never enter till you die. I promise you, you will never enter some places if you don't change your thinking. Poverty and wealth is not a function of money. I've told you that before. It's not. It's a function of your value system. If you think poor, you will never dine with the rich. Never. You will never attain certain places. So if we mention some things and you look, ah, ah, chicken is scarce. Hey. It, will not, it will not always be like that. Don't you believe it? So, they were not commissioned in the instant they were called, they were inducted into school by their calling as disciples. Because right, right now you're in class. You know, this is a life class. Everything else would follow, ultimately. Notice that in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Mark, Mark's two accounts, Luke's two accounts, and John's account of following. Remember that? Matthew 4, Matthew 1, Matthew 4, Mark 1, Mark 3, Luke 5 and 6, and John 1. Right? All the accounts of Jesus reaching out to these guys show you instantly that they left all to follow. Remember that? They left all to follow. And that's a crucial element of the posture of a disciple. And sometimes, sometimes it is literal. You know, sometimes it's easy to hide in the reality of something when you think it's just metaphoric. But that something is metaphoric doesn't mean it is not or cannot be literal. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is literal to leave all and follow. And you left everything and followed and you'll be, you'll be derided. For your choice. You'll be insulted. Dragged. Dissed. You'll be told you've missed it. You'll be told nothing will become of you. I'm telling you because it happened to these guys. I'm telling you because it happened to me. I'm telling you because if you're serious... It will happen to you. Yeah. In every instance, it will cost you something. In some instances, you literally walk away from everything that you know and love and hold dear to become who he would have you become. So every time it's symbolic of nothing else matters more than this. Are you here? Matthew 19 27. When I started this series, I told you this would either offend you, destroy you, or build you. Matthew 19, 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. It is important to understand that the you here is the man Jesus. Not God. 
Because don't forget, we saw that John, just immediately before Jesus, had disciples. John was not God. We saw that the Pharisees had disciples. And man, that's as far from being God <laughs> as you can get. Because they are far, you see. <laughs> and the others were sad, you see. So the far you see is and the sad you see is. So the Pharisees are as far, as far away from God as you can ever be. And they had disciples. Back up a little bit, a few hundred years later, Isaiah had disciples. Back up even further, Elisha had disciples. Back up even further, some prophets had disciples. So I said, I told you the model of discipleship did not start with Jesus. It was foreshadowed ahead of him. So we have left all to follow you was a man. Because if, if Jesus did some things as God, then even our salvation is um, questionable. Because it means, you mean he had an unfair advantage. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If he did things as, as God, and then he makes, he makes becoming as Christ more unattainable for us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they left all and followed him. We have left all and followed you. And these guys wasn't, they weren't kidding about. Therefore, they said, what shall we have? Because we have left all. So Jesus answered them, I love this. Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, hold on, or in the new birth, or hold on when you are born again. And not referring to when their sins would be forgiven. Because that will be referring to the cross. The regeneration was going beyond the cross. Beyond the cross to the end of the work that would be done on the cross. Immortality. That's what was called regeneration. Before we continue, let's see how the other translations put this. 28. Matthew 19, 28. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. So clearly this regeneration is not talking about the cross. That was NLT, right? Let's, let's see other translations. <laughs> I love to teach. Yes, you have followed me. In the recreation of the world, Okay. It was another one. Listen to the truth. In the age of the restoration of all things. So are we in agreement? Now back to New King James. I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Talking to the twelve. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now you can argue this whether literally or metaphorically, but I'll show you and then you make your own deductions if I don't. <laughs> and 29. So we have settled what will happen in the regeneration. 
29 then goes ahead and says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. Hold on, let's go back. So these guys, when they said they left all, meant they left houses, they left brothers or sisters, they left father or mother or wife, they left children and lands for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Not because you want a second wife. Hmm? Everything not double double. Your husband not single single. Amen. Amen. The wife not single single. Mm-hmm. Everything else not double double. <laughs> you must be careful what you are singing. Matthew 16 and 24. See that. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Somebody say my cross. cross. Yeah. And then follow me. And then he goes on to make a very, very, one of the most indicting statements that Jesus makes. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's one of the most poignant, potent statements Jesus makes. One of the strongest things he makes. Because a human being's natural instinct is to fight to preserve his life. And Jesus says, if your life becomes your pursuit, you will lose it. But if you lay it down for my sake, you'll find it. I don't know about you, but you know, right, let's lay it down right here. Already. So that we can find it in the days to come. So the giving up in order to follow him is a big deal, but it's not without a promise. Because you see the promises attached to it of what will come in the regeneration as well as what will come in the now. Now see Revelation 21 and 14. Revelation 21 and 14. Now bear in mind what I show you, what I just showed you in Matthew 19, 27 through 28. So go back. Now on the wall, go back a little bit so I can just pick that city. Um, maybe from verse 12. Okay. And he carried me, verse 10, 21 and 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. So that's what we're talking about now. Descending out of heaven from God, keep going, having the glory of God. Ha, light, the new Jerusalem. Ha. Light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Not crystal. Now, she, new Jerusalem, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates follow carefully and 12 angels at the gates hear this now and names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of israel three gates on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south and three gates on the west tab- mirroring the tabernacle of moses and the arrangement around it Next verse. Now, this is crucial. 
I said, no leaving all to follow Jesus is without promise. You saw his promise in Matthew 19, 27, 28, and 29. In verse 14 of Revelation 21, you see now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them, read the next line for yourself, whether... Go back to Matthew 19, 27, 28, 29. No leaving all to follow Jesus is without promise. And everyone who has left houses and brothers, go back to 27, or 28, 28. Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see that? Now, Revelation 21, verse 14, the Spirit of God shows John the Revelator the fulfillment of this promise in the life of those 12. This 12, by the way, would mean 11 plus Matthias. Okay, it's important that you pay attention to that. All right, and not include Judas who went away from his place even if he has, has or had his salvation. That's important. Alright, so back to 14. Revelation 21, 14. Again, the whole verse. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So it's not without promise. And that's why I've always said over the years that Jesus is a just paymaster. He is. The truth of the matter is, in the kingdom, <laughs> you can anticipate your harvest. Just be honest with yourself about your seed. You would know what kind or measure of harvest to expect. The only people disappointed with their harvest is gamblers. You sow three seedlings of yam, and you expect 200. So if you put 20 seedlings of yam, you're expecting the harvest that is commensurate to what you put in the ground. So you can safely negotiate with a supplier ahead of harvest time. You can even take an advance because you can anticipate your harvest. Are you here? Mm -hmm. You can. What does Jesus say later on in Revelation? I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone in the churches because Revelation is written to the churches. Not to the world. So to give to everyone is referring to saints. Mm -hmm. According as how everyone has worked so you can expect you can anticipate to a large degree your harvest as long as you're not deluding and deceiving yourself are we together now <laughs> yeah so we hear us say certain things is because we know what we have put in the ground we know what we have walked away from 
We know. We know how much blood, sweat, and tears have gone into playing our part in fulfilling the gospel call. And we know without any shadow of doubt or any equivocation that in the global move of God now for the end time, we are in the cutting edge of it. We know. It might not look like it right now, but we know. We know. So you can anticipate your harvest. If you do a quick rain check and you don't like what the harvest is looking like, well, start to sow differently. <laughs> While it is day. Mm. Start to sow differently. But the rewarder is coming. The rewarder is coming. Are you here? Let's continue. Look at Ephesians 2 and 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Go back to verse 19. I want to just stitch it all together. So now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God which is built on the foundation of the apostles. Household of God, Paul tells Timothy, is the church. The house of God. The church of the living God. Now you are fellow citizens of the household of God which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ being its cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building is the, the actual um, 90 degree angle of the foundation that sets the dimensions for how in a straight line and how deep the foundation goes. Does that make sense? So if you ever saw a proper not the one they do to raise money a proper foundation laying ceremony what is laid with the measuring line across on both ends have you seen that it's the cornerstone that stone that determines the path for every other stone that will be laid in that building foundation yeah so you have it here and there setting these dimensions setting the depth in a straight line and setting that dimension so every stone begins to be laid following from the cornerstone you get it now jesus is the chief cornerstone but this church he didn't build it alone he's the cornerstone but this work of which is the cornerstone is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So men have an integral stake in what Jesus is building. So you come and lay cornerstone and say the building, the foundation is finished. How? So Jesus literally started the work. And this household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with direct oversight, direct overview, direct leadership, direct measurement, direct guidance of the chief cornerstone. Yeah. 
So God set Jesus in place for us to follow. So really, you can't call Jesus all in all without us. You, you, you can't actually. It's a chief cornerstone. But this work is built on the work that the apostles did. That guarantees them pillars and thrones over Israel. As you saw in Revelation 21. Are you following this? Is this clear? Very clear, right? They left all to follow him. It's not without promise. Both in the life to come and in this life. We see in Revelation the fulfillment in the futuristic sense of what he tells them in Matthew 19. Right? And what he tells them in Matthew 19 is a continuation or confirmation of what he told them in Matthew 16. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. and Follow me. So discipleship is not without promise. It's not. The aim being that you'll end up where he, who you are following is going. Does that make sense? He can't end up on a throne and you end up on a bench. If he's the one raising you. You can't end up any less. So when the son of man sits on his throne at the regeneration, you will have your throne. Go back to Matthew 19, 28. See it clearly. If there's a throne for me, there is a throne for you. To the measure that you follow me. No, put it, put it up. It's okay. It's alright. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I said to you that in the, re- in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, hold on. Assuredly, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you will also sit on thrones. Who have followed me? If there is a throne for me, there are thrones for you who have followed me. It's not a throne for me and a bench for you. So no one who truly follows ends up less. No one who truly follows ends up less. It wasn't thrown for Jesus and so far for the disciples. And then you see Revelation 21 confirming thrones. So we already know who will rule over Israel. Eschatologically speaking. You don't have to guess. Because his promise is the yes. And in him the promises of God are amen. So there will be a problem. If we get there. When we get there. And those 12 thrones have different names. But thankfully in his magnanimous nature. He didn't even need to wait for us to get there. He showed us the end now. Discipleship is not without promise. Don't be be deceived. 
Somebody who is going nowhere will convince you that they know where they are going. Listen to me carefully. Anybody who walks alone has no clue where he's going. As someone who's trying to figure it out. I'm trying to prove somehow, at any cost, by any means, that they can do it alone. That's not the design of God. I've told you, God's design is not independence. God's design is interdependence, all through scripture. God's design is not, God's design for man is not independence. You don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. You don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. What you see in the entire scriptures is interdependence. By the measure that every joint supplies. Can the hand say to the leg, I am not going. Isn't that what the entire scripture is full of? How does that suggest your independence? You are the ear and you want to go and do your own thing and leave the body at home. You are the eye. You want to go. And go and look at the, the, the breeze and see the sunset. And your legs are not going. Or you're running and your heart. I'm not ready to speed up my heart rate <laughs> right now. I'm not, I'm, not in, I'm not in the business of pumping more blood. Please, I, I already feel too bloody right now. Yeah, all the 25 years I've been pumping blood for you. What have you done for me? Today is my day off. And he, he go off. <laughs> So if your body functions as a complete soma, what has deluded you to believe? And I taught you in that teaching that your physical body was given to you to appreciate the body of Christ. Your entire physical body is a loud message of the work of Jesus in his body. In his body. Your tooth is aching. You take paracetamol into your stomach. Why don't you put the paracetamol on the tooth? You put it into your stomach. Enzymes act on it. Feeds it into the bloodstream. And then your nervous system picks it up. And delivers it targetedly. To the pain in your tooth. And you by yourself, you can be the body. My problem is when I teach these things, most people are not listening. So when we take church family as seriously as we do, people think that we have lost it. Because they don't realize that they are the ones who are in delusion. Thinking you alone, one no steal, can be the church. You are the body of Christ. And the one no steal you are has difficulty breathing and smelling. That's why you're smelling nonsense. How can you be a believer studying the Bible and leave your brain at home? Because if you engage in Bible study with your brain, some things will not fail to make sense to you. If your body, natural, anatomical body, cannot function a certain way, why would you think that God was smart enough to create your body to function this way? but not smart enough to create his body to function a certain way. Your body is a reflection of his body. And there's no independence in your body, sir. Your tummy moves, your anus responds. 
you sneeze, your ears respond. So you're what? Interdependence. Millions of miles of nerves crisscrossing your entire body in the most intricate, complex web of networks ever designed in the earth. Millions of miles of cables running through your body carrying data at the speed of light. This is what I just did. It wasn't my hand that did this. In this amount of time, my brain thought it. The nervous system, the CPU processed it. Sent it into my nervous system. Nervous system deciphered which part of my body my brain thought was going to do that. Sends the signal there and then it taps where it was designed to tap. At the speed of light. Nothing you do is random. Nothing. Nothing. The head generates it. Sends it down, cascading down the various elements of the body. If you understood this with your heart open and your brain intact, you will never disrespect the Lord's body. Ever. You will never disrespect the Lord's body. How much more think you can tear it down? Except if you are convinced only you by your one self. You are all that plus a bag of chips. But no. Independence is alien to God's design. Independence is antichrist. Yes. It's antichrist. Yes. That's why there's one Christ and many false Christs. <laughs> Everybody wants to be Geo. Mm. Many false Christs. Independence is Antichrist. Self conceitedness. All about yourself. Everybody fitly joined. That's what Philippians says, right? Fitly joined. Fitly. Fitly. Fitly joined. Fitly joined. Use this pinky and then you see the day you, you, you know how important it is. We're an interdependent people. You got it? We're an interdependent people. Discipleship, therefore, is the practice of the word under direct supervision. Discipleship, therefore, is the practice of the word. Add training and practice, if you like. Training and practice of the word under direct supervision. It's not by proxy. So a book cannot disciple you. Mm -hmm. A TV channel cannot disciple you. Your discipler cannot be in South Korea. Mm, your pastor cannot be in Singapore. Are you listening to me today? Mm. No. Your discipler must of necessity be within touching distance. <laughs> 
because discipleship is word training and practice under direct supervision. So if you cannot be accountable and vulnerable in your word training and practice, you cannot be a disciple. What you're looking for is a pastor whom you can support. Yeah. Discipleship is what training and practice under Acts 14. Acts 14, 21 through 22. I should just go from, go from 19 for just for. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. There's a scripture in Acts chapter 4 and in 23. Talking about disciples and the difference between that and just general church. And being let go, they went to their own companions, staying companions, and changed across translations. Let's see how it renders that word. Other believers, yes. King James says their own company, their friends, their own fellowship. You see that? Their own people. Not the general body. The other believers in their company. Their own people. Are you, are you getting this? Okay. So, you come back to Acts 14 in 21. And when they had preached. However, in 20, when the disciples got around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made... You see that? What did the gospel produce? What does the gospel produce? What should the gospel produce? Any exceptions? If you sat under and received the gospel, what should it make you? If this is not falling on good ground in your heart, you won't last around too long. And the next place you go, you won't last long either. And the place after that you go, you won't last long either. And the place after that you go, you won't last long either. And then you think you're old enough and you have, you have gallivanted enough to start your own work. And you will start the work and destroy yourself and those that bind themselves to you. God cannot be mocked. His word cannot fall to the ground. Because there's a level of nomadic lifestyle in the faith that makes people qualify or think they are qualified enough to start a work. You have served this pastor, you have been in this pastor, you have been a deaconess here, you have been a worship leader here, you have been protocol officer here, you have been music director here. You, you think you have amassed enough experience from your nomadic, unsubmitted lifestyle to start a walk and you put together the result of your rebellion, the result of your spiritual prostitution. Bring together the affairs of your illicit relationships and try to force a family to come out of it. That's as dysfunctional as dysfunctional can be. It will not work. It will take you down and everyone that bands to get themselves to you. Acts chapter 5. 22. But when the other officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported. Keep going. Saying, indeed we found the prison shut securely and the guards 
standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple <laughs> and teaching the people. Next verse. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. Then the captain went to the officers and brought them without violence. You should be afraid. You locked someone in prison. You put guards. The guards were still there. The prison was still locked. And you see the people teaching the temple. You went and rearrested them. Oh. For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Stay with me. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. He was already on them. Next verse. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And also, so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Next verse. I'm going all the way to verse... Um, 41. And when they heard this, they were all furious and plotted to kill them. The one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. He starts to tell them a story. For some time ago, thou does rose up claiming to be somebody a number of men about 400 joined him because he claimed to be somebody he was slain and all who obeyed or followed or were discipled by him were scattered and came to nothing next verse after thousands judas of galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away away that means people were somewhere else he drew them away after him. He didn't draw people after him. He drew them away after him. He also perished. And all who obeyed him were dispersed. Go on. And now, on the strength of that, I say to you, keep away from this man and leave them alone. Keep going. For if this plan or this work is of men, they will come to nothing. You don't have to fight for God. <laughs> You don't have to help him destroy it. He can fight for himself. And he does that by not fighting. If this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. 39. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. If it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. If it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. If it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest you even be found. 39 again in the in a modern translation the message or TPT let's just let's just see how it renders it but if it is of God there's nothing you can do about it and you better not be found fighting against God 
But if this movement is of God, you won't be able to stop it. And you might discover that you were fighting God all along. Wise people, Gamaliel's words. All right, let's take it amplify. It's fine. But if it's of God and it appears, and it appears that it is, you will not be able to stop them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Mm -hmm. And Gamaliel's words found agreement with them. So they called for the apostles and beat them up, because at least they can do that. <laughs> called for the apostles and flogged them. <laughs> Commanded them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 41. Go back to 40. Beat them. <laughs> Commanded them to not speak in the name of Jesus. Let them go. 41. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. See how they rejoiced in the next verse. See the rejoicing. That's how you rejoice in the face of the storm. Daily in the temple, the same temple. <laughs> That's discipleship. So somebody is nomadic enough, and jumps from here, jumps from there. I learned how to take offering here. I learned how to preach here. I learned to finish work here. I learned portals here. I learned prayer here. I learned music here. I learned church welfare here. And you combine all of them together. And you expect to have something that works. If it works, it's a mockery on what you disrespected. It's a mockery. That's why I go and check every breakaway church breaks away to another church. That's the truth. Because when you broke away, you broke away with somebody that is learning how to break away from you. Mm -hmm. And in a short while, he will play his card. And then there's somebody who also has a similar ambition, who is currently in the eldership or dignity of this church, that will also break away for one reason, that he too might break away from what you have broken away to build. That's why you see pastors fighting for members. It's a shame. Fighting for members. My members, my members, my members, my members. I will leave, but I will take my members with me. Your members. Discipleship is what training and practice under direct supervision. If you can't handle it, you are not discipleship material, which makes you dangerous material in the church. That includes responsibility for your lifestyle and management of your issues. Discipleship is what training and practice under direct supervision. That includes responsibility for your lifestyle and management of your issues. And I wrote here, Dear Absalom, tell your grievance to Amnon and then to the king. Only then can we fix it. No 
won't internalize an issue you have not dealt with. If your issues with Amnon, Jesus teaches, go to Amnon first. Jesus teaches. What Paul says. If you have an offer against your brother, go to him. Reason with him. If he reasons with you, Jesus says you have gained a brother. That's the layout. So Absalom, before you internalize an issue, because again, the issue is not really the issue with Amnon, it's the issue of the dirtiness of your heart. Heart is very dirty. But your face and hair are very pretty. So before you think that how you look is how you are, carry the magnifying glass of God's word. Look within. Because he that looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein. Because the person that doesn't do the word is like someone that looks at himself in a mirror and forgets. Hey, so I'm, not, I'm not making it up. It's in your scriptures in James. Before you think how you look outside is how you are on the inside. Look in the mirror of the word. Ask the word. Mirror, mirror of the word. Ask yourself. Jesus calls them in Matthew 23 whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, despicable and dirty on the inside. That's, that's, hey, what, what did he tell Peter? Say, Satan is standing by to sift you. It's never far. Oh my, I was telling you, your process of sanctification, you don't want to allow any ill to incubate. And suddenly there's life growing inside of you that you don't want. And you feel like it's too late to abort. Now it's growing. I've come too far. Because you have allowed it to incubate so much, it has fertilized, it has attached itself to you and started to draw essence from you. You begin to feel like it's part of you. This hurt, you have nursed this hurt so much that if you lose it, you will actually feel empty. Because now this hurt is a child you are nursing on the inside. This child is an embryo you are, you are nursing. This child is an egg that you have fertilized and, and, and you have given placenta and oxygen to it. And you know it shouldn't be there. You know it's a child out of wedlock, but it's a child you are attached to. And something's growing inside of you that you feel like it. If you let go, you would be empty and there's nothing you can quite replace it with. So you come under obligation to nurse it to its full gestation period. Even though you know you should not keep it. But you're under a false sense of obligation because you have allowed something to take on life it should never have had. So you nurse it and nurse it. You don't don't necessarily have to like it but somehow you have become responsible for it because of your attachment to it. And even when you want to let go you've lost the coordinates for how to do so you've lost the coordinates you don't have a grip on it anymore instead it's attached itself to you like a mini me wherever you go it goes whatever you eat it takes and its appetite is ferocious it's more thirsty and hungry than even you your ego is not enough to satisfy it 
It will eat anything in its path. It's a ravenous, carvenous being growing on your inside. You let it get to you. All you need to do is speak to Amnon. Speak to the king. Speak to Amnon. Speak to the king. But you nursed it. Opened a nursery for it. Created the perfect brooding conditions. While professing the name of Jesus. And allegiance to the king. I'm with you pastor. Preach on. You're washing pastor's car. Carrying pastor's bag. But you are nursing a beast on your inside. And now whatever you take in, it gulps before you can even process it. You're feeding an alien life form. Absalom is in full swing. And if Absalom wanted out, it's too late. Because it's gone too far. It doesn't know the coordinates back. Nobody has Absalom's reset button. You don't see anybody that could influence Absalom. And say, shut down! Are you crazy? Shut it down! There's not a single such person in the life of an Absalom. Mirror, mirror of the world. Nobody, not even the commander of the king's guard, he burnt his farm. Joab, not a pushover. <laughs> Son of Abishai. Ahitophel used him and dumped him. It's Hushai's turn now. Nobody can control an Absalom. Because by the time you're a raging inferno, like a forest fire. The more we try to douse it, the wilder it becomes. You just realize you are attacking and trying to put out. And they are angry that you are attacking them. And the fire reaches further out of control. Don't let yourself get there. If you are there, if you are on the precipice, pull yourself back by the harness of God's word. Pull yourself back. It's a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous to be in a place where you don't know how to repent. <laughs> you don't know how to repent. You don't know how to pull yourself back. I said, no, 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 I went too far. Get a grip on it. Instead, the more God's word comes, the more attacked you feel. <laughs> and the more attacked you feel, the more that ravenous beast on the inside screams and yearns for more. The word of God now becomes your enemy. Say, I'm a son of God. You're a child of your father, the devil. Speaking in tongues as you go. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The word of God cannot harness and pull you back from the cliff. And then you're not of him. You cannot be the word of God to yourself. <laughs> you can't. You can't be the juror and the executioner. 
and the prosecutor and the exhibit and the evidence. You cannot. So yes, subship includes responsibility for your life. And your issues. Shove them under the carpet. If you didn't let it go, it matters. It might just be a touch. It might be somebody stepped on your toe. If you find yourself revisiting it more than once, deal with it. What are you nursing it for? And most Absaloms are terrible at pretending. You think you can't see their real condition because their hair covers it all. They don't think they need to pretend. They don't because they don't think you see through them. But you know they stick out like a sore thumb. You can tell this person has disdain for this other person. Very, very dismissive and condescending. Yeah. Everybody's measured according to your own lens, but nobody measures you. Tell so you, you are. Why are you wearing this kind of camisole? Is your breast not too too low, too droopy? Who does that to you? You fight everybody to a standstill. If we tell you your dress is too short. But you're the one who is in, up in everybody's business. Up in everybody's WhatsApp status. Up in everybody. First person to see. First person to comment when it is not good. Never dare to say you look amazing. Because confessing you look amazing will make it two of us that look amazing. That's a problem for Absalom. Well, you can look amazing, but I don't have to tell you. Because you now run roughshod over me. I think that okay, now two of us fine. No, my name is Absalom. I get the compliments I give them as they suit my purpose. And then you now nurse a grudge inside that incubator. Absalom, speak to Amnon. Speak to the king. Respect spiritual authority. Go to your pastor. After having gone to the individual. After. That's what Jesus taught. The individual. Don't deceive yourself that you let it go. If, it's, if it creeps up. If it creeps up, you need help. You need help. You need help from somebody with more mileage than you in handling such matters. You know, contrary to popular opinion, everybody in church is not your mate. No, 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 no. No, we are all sons of God, but they are elders. Yes. Yeah. People have plowed waters you haven't plowed yet. We are all equals of God. It's a mirage. There are people that scriptures say at the foundation of the household of God. Yes, you are not inside. <laughs> you are not a Mongo. Call yourself apostle now of the 21st century. I'm an apostle. You are not the foundation of the household of God. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you're not. Me, Pav. Foundation of the household of God. From which year? So no, there, 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 there's, there's mileage. There is mileage. There is, there's mileage. There's mileage. You must learn to respect mileage in the kingdom. You must learn to honor mileage in the kingdom. Mileage is not your mate. 
most respect my lady, you must honor my lady. A driver who has driven around Nigeria multiple times in his 30-year driving career, and you that started driving Bolt and Corolla, you're not mates, man. Because your car has AC, it doesn't make you the mate of somebody who drove, uh, what do you call it, 545 station wagon. Kaduna to Lagos, Lagos, Benin, Benin, Portacot, Portacot, Lokoja, Lokoja, Kaduna, Kaduna, Okene, Okene, Lagos, passing Jebba. Because your car has AC. Touch, touch screen. You can now drive from here to Portacot with your windows up. You know what I mean? Windows up. AC blowing you, heated seat. And one moment of rage, you are in a ditch. Because you might have a fast car. But driving control is for the experienced. Only experienced drivers don't drive with their emotions. That's why pilots can fly anytime as long as he's not drunk and sleepy. The moment a pilot let his emotions enter him, a few years ago, went and crashed that plane into the French Alps. And it turns out he had suffered a heartbreak in the morning. And he killed 200 and something people. Yes, because the main, he was actually the first engineer, the second pilot. First pilot went out to the toilet to ease himself, and this young guy then bolted the pilot's cabin, leaving the other guy out there. Unknown to them, he had left a suicide note earlier in the day. When you die with companions, Absalom never goes down alone. Commercial plane. Why? He let his emotions take over the rudder. I mean, I watch TPAC, Tactical Pursuit and Containment, is what they call um, driving maneuvers for the police. The SWAT team, people that do, not every policeman abroad is engaged in a pursuit and overtake incident. Yeah, not every policeman who is in a car, not every trooper does that. They will retreat at a point and let the pros train for that takeover. And the angle at which they must hit the bumper at the right angle to flip the car without rolling it over and causing, causing bodily harm or death. So one inch further in, in the bonnet, and you have killed the occupants of that vehicle. And they train them at the speed and the angle at which they must engage the other vehicle. And watch the guys driving. No ounce of emotion. Choppers are raging outside. News crews. People are screaming. Somebody's hair is being dragged in the vehicle you're chasing. Somebody's having a gun or a knife. And the person driving is as cold as ice. Because all he needs is a particular speed, a particular angle, and a particular opportunity. Anything outside these three do not concern him. The noise doesn't concern him. The weather doesn't concern him. What is going to happen to the wife of this criminal in the car doesn't concern him. Particular speed, particular opportunity, particular angle. That's it. Once you get the all clear, execute the maneuver, it's done. On to the next gig. It's another day at the office. <laughs> There's nothing special about stopping a car chase. So that you can drive the car and press the accelerator and go fast. Uh, <laughs> doesn't make you at equal power with everybody else who appears to be doing the same thing as you. One of the lessons I learned very early in my life. The worst thing you can do to yourself is to make an, a contemporary out of an elder. 
It's one of the worst things you can do in your life. To make a contemporary out of an elder, somebody who's your elder, you reduce them to becoming your, your mate, your contemporary. Because he's driving, I'm driving. He's talking, I'm talking. He's pastoring, I'm pastoring. He's singing, I'm singing. He's leading, I'm leading. He's posting, I'm posting. He's whatsapping, I'm whatsapping. They're liking his, they're liking mine. They're commenting on his, they're commenting on mine. Why is he special? Why is she special? You contemporize your elder. You guys hung with Jesus and slept with him in the same place and called him master. Called him rabbi. Because they watched him heal the sick first. Without them. He traveled alone first and healed the sick and preached this gospel. So they couldn't allude that it was their support that enabled him. And then he sent them out on his authority. This apostleship is deliberate. It doesn't just happen. Are you here? <laughs> Absalom, tell your grievance to Amnon. And then to the king. Only then can we fix it. That's what leadership is for. Dealing with issues outside your purview. Because if you can't trust church with yourself, you will make a mess of yourself in the church. And again, these are things that fortunately or unfortunately I taught in church consciousness. Acts 6, 1, 2, 3. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews. Complaint. Somebody say complaint. Against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Hellenists were... Jews who were, who were abdicating their Jewish beliefs for a more Greek outlook. It's proselytes who were uh, Greeks becoming Jews. Acts 6 and verse 1. Actually, this, um, let's see verse, what verse is that? 1? Let's see it in like TPT or some, some of these translations should help us with this. During those days, the number of Jesus' followers kept multiplying greatly, but a complaint was brought against those who spoke Aramaic, that's the Jews, by the Greek-speaking Jews. Right? So Jews who were adopting Greek practices. Right? That's Hellenists. Who felt their widows were being overlooked during the daily distribution of food. Basically, accusations of marginalization. Right? The foreigners or the you know, second class apparent were feeling like because we are not full-blooded Jews in that sense, you are giving priority to the Jewish widows and you are neglecting our widows in the daily distribution of food. Again, for me, it's instructive to see that the church had a daily food distribution system. But how was this possible? Chapter 4 explains how it was possible. Everybody who had sold what they had and brought. And it had a central purse, central supply. I love it. <sighs> Go on, verse 3. So this, you, see there's a pro you see there's a church. You see there's leaders. You see there's a problem. There's a problem from, there's a problem about. Right? Verse 2. Now in those days. Okay, then the twelve. Summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
And this here does not mean that they were saying that the word of God was more important as it were than seven tables, but that it's, we, we're doing what we are called to do. It would not be right, wise to leave that and then go and do something else at the expense of what we are called to do. Does that make sense? Lest you join the school of thought of people that believe that it's more honorable to do one thing than the other. Then you start to disrespect people that wash the toilets. As if you don't wash the toilets in your own house. Some, 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 stup some stupidity doesn't make sense. So if you're like, I can't do that. I'm a singist. I'm the face of the church. No, you're doing that to your hair. Like, oh. Look at my nails. I can't, I can't mess up my nails. In an era where some of us are cutting nails because of ministry. Acts 15 and 6. There was problem in the church from verse 1. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See problem. Verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputes with them. In other words, they raked with them over this matter. Earnestly contending for the faith. Give us an LT or some other translation. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. It got so bad that the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas and certain others to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. At least we dealt with it openly. That's what discipleship is there for. That's what leaders are there for among disciples. So being sent on their way, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. See verse 6. Now the apostles and the elders, verse 6 now, Acts 15.6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And then of course they resolve it um, with a bit of a compromise. But that's not, the, that's not the thrust of my teaching today. The point is, leadership is there to deal with issues that arise in the church. Because as long as it's human beings gathered, issues will arise. Yeah. Yeah. Do you understand? Because you are not a human doing. You are a human being. You are being human. You. You, are, you are human being. You are being human. Human are you. Contrary to what you have been taught, you are not a spirit. Yet. <laughs> you are human with a soul. Given his spirit. If you cannot take instructions from church leadership, leave. Tell your neighbor. Tell your other neighbor. Mm -hmm. So you're either following or you are leaving.
So if you don't believe in leadership, leave it. Because the only time you can be in a place and be in trouble or create trouble is if you don't believe in the capacity of leadership. Yeah. By Sunday we get into Jesus' actual instruction to go into the world and make disciples. Make. We start to look at that by the preaching and teaching of the gospel. I talked about this before. And then I'll ask you, whose disciples are they? The word said to you, go and make disciples by the preaching of the gospel. To whom do the disciples belong? To him that told them to go and make the disciples. Every disciple is the disciple of Jesus. Ultimately. Right? But, if they are Jesus' disciples, why is Jesus not making them? He tells you, go and make them for me. So if Jesus is the pastor, he should have been here making disciples. But alas, he isn't. But the disciples made are his. Mm. Disciple that is made is made for Jesus because the resurrected Christ demands disciples, desires disciples, and he deserves disciples. He deserves, he desires, he demands. They're his, it's his exclusive preserve. Disciples are disciples of Christ. Pav makes them. Do you understand now? They are disciples of Christ. Caleb makes them. They are disciples of Christ. Favor makes them. And there is a cascading level. Jesus made a particular number and stopped making. Because all he wanted to establish was the first tier, T-I-E-R, of his desire for the nations. In three years, Jesus had enough supernatural power to step into every corner of the world if he wanted to. It could have been Philip appearing and disappearing and Jesus couldn't. I mean, someone is already walking on water. Someone is showing up on the water and then immediately they are in their destination. He could appear and disappear anywhere if he wanted to. He restricted himself to the regiment God gave him. Disciple the first tier. The first layer. Get out of the way. That's why I told you he's not a pastor here. He pastored the 12, he pastored the 70, he pastored the 120, he pastored the 500. He stopped pastoring. And he left because this discipleship business is done in a body. A physical body. Spirits don't disciple. Are you following me now? <laughs> Spirits don't make disciples. Men make disciples. And claim no credit. 
because they are his disciples that you can make because of how you are building from the chief cornerstone he's called us to make stuff for him and he showed us how by doing the first one himself does that make sense yeah he showed us how by making the first set himself and then he leaves you to it he leaves you to it he begins to provide oversight from your inside oversight from the inside by his spirit yeah yes the spirit is over you from inside <laughs> because the holy spirit that is overseeing you is not outside your boss is inside <laughs> your boss is inside he's you're able to he's able to carry you because you are carrying him Provides oversight from your inside. But the making is not of him now. It's men. Men making for him what he has shown us how to make. So he that receives you now receives me. He that receives me receives him who sent me. You getting it now? can't say you receive God and then receive Christ. You can't say you receive Christ and then receive who Christ sent. Yes, yes, That's what Jesus told them. It wasn't about receiving a cup of water. He was giving a cup of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet. In other words, not just giving him a cup of water as the brethren. Yes. But in acknowledgement of his office over you. Has the reward that is due to that prophet. Wow! He that gives a cup of water to a prophet, acknowledging his office as a prophet, shall receive the kind of reward the prophet shall receive. Please, sir, I want to give you water. That's the posture of discipleship and service. Because it lines you up for the promise. If I serve this man in acknowledgement of who he is, whatever blessing comes upon him comes upon me. Ah, sir, I'm a lifetime servant. That's all it takes. Cup of water service to a prophet, recognizing he's a prophet, yes, sir. shall receive the reward of a prophet, even though he were not, as it were, a prophet. Ah, please, sir, drink my water. Take my service. Take my submission. Take my my loyalty as unto the Lord, respecting the office He placed you in, that I choose to see esteem. And honor. And that's, that, that sets me in line for the lineage of Macarios you enjoy in that your office. Uh, I will never leave serving you. And these are simple principles that the church has ignored because you have become too intellectual in your understanding of the gospel. Yes. Come very touch, you come very puffed up and very touched and very polished. You know, you're a grace person. Gospel person, so your hands can't get dirty anymore. You think grace cancel service? Latrio ministry diaconios is service, service to men in the body. Paul tells Timothy in First Timothy five said, "Women, the widows that you are going to look after in church are the widows who have washed the feet of the saints." So it wasn't every widow in church that was being looked after by the church. 
He wasn't. It's the ones that 1 Timothy 5 verse 3. On, give me NLTs because I don't want, I want the English to be very, very clear. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. Keep going. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. If a widow has family, don't take care of her. Let her children and grandchildren check it, take care of her. And he says, this is something. Don't come and be a burden on us because your husband died. Next verse. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Paul is speaking. Paul, 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 Paul. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. Keep going. But those who won't care for their relatives, in this case, widows, is worse than an infidel. It is not referring to everybody who cannot provide for his family is an infidel. Go back to New King James and let me deal with this verse quickly. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The wife will carry it and say, husband, see your life. You cannot provide. The Bible says you are worse. No ma. The context here is in looking after widows. If the widow who has children and grandchildren cannot look after this widow in their household, they are worse than infidels. And unbelievers. Contextually. Do you get it now? Go to, I don't know, TPT, message, whatever. For if a believer fails to provide for their own relatives when they are in need, they have compromised the convictions of the faith and need to be corrected for their living words and unbelievers. Now go back to verse 7. Be sure to give clear instructions concerning these matters. What matters? Verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Don't guess. Don't be harsh. Or overly abusive to an elder man. It is better to appeal to him as a father. Encourage him as a dear brother. Keep going. Verse 2. Honor the older women as mothers. And the younger women treat as your dear sister with utmost purity. 3. The church needs to honor and support the widows. Especially those who are in dire need. But if they have. If they. The widows. Have children or grandchildren at home. Then it is only proper to let them provide for the ones who raised them when they were children. For kindness begins at home and it pleases God. Keep going. For the true widow is all alone and has placed her complete hope in God. She's Messiah's missionary and would need the support of the church as one who remains in prayer day and night. So widows cannot be busybodies and expect church to look after them. Next verse. But the widow, 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 who serves only herself, lives a life of self-indulgence and is wasting her life away. Keep going. Be sure to give clear instructions concerning these matters so that no one of them will live with shame. Eight. For if a believer fails to provide for their own relatives when they are in need, they have compromised the convictions of the faith and need to be corrected for their living worse than the unbelievers. Keep going. The widows, you see, continues. Widows. The widows who are worthy to be supported by the church should be at least 60 years old and not remarried. They should have a beautiful testimony of raising their families Practicing hospitality, encouraging other believers, comforting troubled ones, and having a reputation for doing good works. This is where it mentions in King James, washing the feet of the saints. Go back to us. But do not concern yourself with the younger widows. Okay, stay here. Well reported for good works. Go back to verse 9. 
and do not let, go on, and not, unless she has been the wife of one man, keep going, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, that's service. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, verse 11, but refuse the younger widows for the, when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they want to marry again. <laughs> so even with that, there's order. Paul is telling Timothy how to handle the church. How to deal with issues in the church. So these are very, very crucial matters we're dealing with. Crucial. So open your heart to it. Align yourself to it. Again, don't forget, mirror, mirror of the word. That's what this is all about. Where am I in this all? Mirror, mirror of the word. Where am I in this all? Let the word wash you. There are miscarriages that should happen today. Yes. Major miscarriages should happen today. There's some life form you should stifle. Let it die. Break its neck. Let it bleed out. We'll never be found there again. Father, we thank you for the work you're doing in us. We give you glory and thanks and praise. Hallelujah. Thank you that we cannot be the same. Again, it's not possible. We cannot be the same. You're molding us, you're building us, and you're strengthening us along the way. Hallelujah. Give God praise. We'll close here. <laughs> well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, Kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the Truth Simply Put or at War the Church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.